0: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. That's right, Jen's headed off to host 1A from Washington, D.C., but the idea and the mission of Reset hasn't changed. We're still bringing you great conversations around the city's news, arts, and culture, and we're still talking with people working to improve Chicago and its neighborhoods. So thanks for hanging out with me in this space for a while as the team looks for Jen's permanent replacement. Here's the question many people are asking Can Congress act on police reform? And can they deliver legislation that will bring real change? Recent polling shows many Americans in favor of sweeping reforms, including a ban on chokeholds and racial profiling. Dick Durbin is a senior senator from Illinois and the number two Democrat in the U.S. Senate. Senator Durbin, welcome back to the show. Good to be with you. So let's get right into this idea. I mean, there are dueling uh, plans in Congress. Democrats put out uh, your plan last week, Republicans sometime this week. What should we expect? Let's first start with your plan. What What is different about this plan than than some of the police reforms that's been done in the past?
1: Well, i tell you, it's comprehensive. There are uh, eight or ten elements in it, and 200 of us supporting it in the House and the Senate, all Democrats. I was original co-sponsor along with Senator Duckworth. It gets down to basic spanning chokeholds, for example, uh, talking about new training standards, uh, incentives, financial incentives to police departments for that training and retraining. Uh, it goes into some real fundamental questions about a national police registry so that someone who has been a wrongdoer in one community can't escape to another and fail to disclose their background. Uh, we talk about the issue of immunity in courts as to whether mm-hmm. if an individual policeman is responsible for uh, wrongdoing, whether uh, the employer, in this case a city, a county, whatever it happens to be, uh, would have civil liability. Uh, we go into uh, a number of other areas there all of which are designed, including the anti-lynching statute, all of which are designed in a comprehensive way to address the issues.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, the bill would create, like you said, a national police misconduct registry. Uh, yeah, I'm interested about that because we've seen in Chicago uh, or in the state of Illinois, uh, the uh, Attorney General Kwame Raoul talking about uh, licensing police officers. It seems like the governor and the mayor behind that. Are you behind something like that on a local level, the idea of giving a license to police officers, as well as having this registry?
1: Well, we require beauticians and barbers to be licensed. Uh, There are lots of uh, professions and occupations that we license. I don't think it's unreasonable. I think uh, it requires a standard of professionalism, uh, some accountability, uh, some formal record-taking, and and, uh, licensure, which can be referred to. I think it's well worth exploring on a state-by-state basis for licensure. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, You know, it's interesting because when I hear when I hear in my network, just the idea that uh, almost a collective social media eye roll when they talk about Congress making changes, because the the question is, you can't get it done because of the political partisanship. And also, at the same time, there have been reforms before and and the police departments and police officers have just not been held accountable. So what do you say to people who say, you know what, uh, this is just more speak uh, and not really getting to the root of the problem?
1: Anyone who's skeptical or cynical of our political system has (laughs) certainly a lot of evidence to present. But let me tell you why I think this may be different. Uh, First, we do have two real differences. A Democratic House of Representatives, Democratic majority, a Republican Senate, uh, 5347, and a Republican president. So you're going to have to find uh, a solution here that has bipartisan support. Is it possible the president or his followers will come around Well, I'll tell you something. The reaction across this country uh, to the George Floyd murder and many things uh, that preceded it and followed it is so different and so vast and so big and so overwhelming and so bipartisan. There's a chance. There's a real chance for reform here. Hmm.
0: Uh, This morning, and you mentioned it just about qualified immunity, and I want to get into this because the Supreme Court declined to hear cases seeking the reexamination of qualified immunity, which is the, it's a legal doctrine that shields police officers from misconduct lawsuits. Uh, you're going to reform this doctrine. Tell me about that.
1: Well, remember, this is not a statute. It is not a law. It is a court interpretation of what the law means. And what it boils down to is this. Uh, should a person guilty of wrongdoing uh, be responsible in a court of law and civil lawsuit and pay damages to the victim? Uh, and under this qualified immunity, the answer is no. Almost never uh, in these circumstances. Well, I'll say it comes down to a very basic political difference here. Republicans, by and large, do not believe in courts and juries. They are loath to see them promoted or used regularly. They find ways around them, arbitration, uh, immunity, anything to keep this out of the hands of 12 jurors who can hear the evidence and make a decision. I feel exactly the opposite. Yeah. I think that is really democracy in action.
0: Now, there's a growing number of Democrats who, who want to end qualified immunity. Republicans feel like that would go too far. I want to play uh, one of your colleagues, Senator Tim Scott. Uh, Republican from South Carolina, speaking on the idea of going too far and ending qualified immunity. Let, let's listen
1: here. From the Republican perspective and the president has sent the signal that qualified immunity is off the table. They see that as a poison pill on our side. Decertification would be a path that I would be interested in looking at. That is a path that has got kind of a roadblock because I don't have the votes on the other side to, to make that into law.
0: So just calling it a poison pill. What's your reaction to that?
1: As I said earlier, it is a fundamental difference in philosophy. In my experience in Congress, the Republicans are always looking to keep things out of the hands of a jury. Twelve people off the street, sworn in, doing, listening to the facts, reaching a conclusion, how the law applies, and, and a verdict in a case. It is just as basic as an election as far as I'm concerned. They don't like It, it scares the hell out of them. And so they do their best to keep things out of the jury box. And for them to declare this is the ultimate, we cannot, uh, this is the bone in the throat that will choke us, we can't let this happen, tells you how strongly they feel about this. Mm. Same thing happens when Mitch McConnell of Kentucky stands up and says, no more help for coronavirus unless we have immunity, governmental immunity for the businesses uh, that reopen. And you say to yourself, well, wouldn't you want standards and people to live up to them but to say no liability? No, that there's immunity across the board really absolves the bad businesses uh, and really gives no help at all to the good businesses who're trying their best.
0: One of the issues, and, and we've seen mounting political pressure for this, the movement to defund the police, and you've seen uh, many Democrats kind of push back on that concept. What's your what's your take on defunding the police? Is this something that you think has has legs and and that Democratic leaders should get behind?
1: That phrase. It's unacceptable. It infuriates me. It it suggests there's some people who are suggesting just with a handful of words there that we won't provide the resources for the police to do their business. Well, that's unacceptable. You know, when you call 911, you want someone to answer the phone, for goodness sakes. When the neighbor next door is threatening to kill their wives and children uh, with a gun, are are you going to call someone to counsel them? You're going to call the police department. Here's what it comes down to, we can reassign resources more effectively. For example, you want to deal with why kids join gangs and shoot one another in the neighborhoods of Chicago? 92% of those kids sitting in the Cook County juvenile facility have been either victims of trauma or witness trauma in their lives, Uh, the so-called adverse childhood experiences. Bringing in counselors to intervene in those lives before they turn to gangs makes sense, much more than, than a police presence makes sense under those circumstances. So I don't think the police should bear that responsibility, I think others should, but we definitely need police. We need to invest in better police training and recruitment, and that means spending more money.
0: You and I are smart guys though. I mean, I know what defund the police means. I think the idea is that to reallocate and think about how funding is done so going now back to talking. that same question i mean do do you support the idea that is behind defund the police, which is to to look at maybe putting some of those uh Precious resources uh, in different places, like social workers uh, and other places absolutely. that might be. No, absolutely, yeah.
1: I agree with you yeah. completely on that. But that is not what the phrase is, and that's not, not how it's being used by our critics. You know, they're saying, "Oh, defund the police." You know, I mean, what are you going to do when you need some uh, cops on the beat? Well, we know it in Chicago with the thousands of people who've been shot and killed. We need to deal with gun violence, and that requires police presence and police activity. And I want them to be the best. Mm-hmm. But defund the police is, is just one of these flippant terms that's being turned into a, a political bloody shirt. And I, I think we've got to take a few minutes more to explain exactly where we need to go. We want to make sure we not only reform the police, but we reinvent them in the 21st century for the actual needs of security in our communities.
0: When you see budgets in the city of Chicago where the percentages that go to police are, are you know upwards of 50, 60 percent of the budget in other towns and cities around America – I think that's where this is coming from, where we've seen other social aspects, whether it be teachers or or public service workers or social workers who have been defunded in the past, and there hasn't been a lot of rhetoric around that. That, I think, is the, the whole point of it, is just saying, when you think of a new police force, do you think that there may be a more diverse and more spread out allocation of the resources from our tax money?
1: Absolutely. I don't argue with that in any way whatsoever. I can also remember going with uh, the former mayor in Chicago, Rob Emanuel, to some of the police stations in, in the areas of heaviest gun violence and having him show me the technology that they were using to to try to reduce the number of guns that are being fired and to find out where they were and who's misusing them. It's technology. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it pays off, I think it does, to make that investment. So so let's not make it an either-or situation. Let's make it both. Let's professionalize the police Let's make sure they have the tools they need to keep us safe. But let's acknowledge there are things that they cannot do, despite all their training, that need to be done to make us safe.
0: Senator Durbin, I'm interested because here we go into the summertime where it is – with everything that's happening, whether it's a virus or or systemic racism, there still is a political campaign for president. I'm interested in how you think this issue is going to play out because here comes Congress with uh, two different bills, a Republican bill, a Democrat. There will be compromise hopefully, and something gets passed. But the American people, at the end of the day, are going to have a say on whether or not the, either political party responded to uh, millions of Americans who are calling for change. Do you think this will be the, the number one issue when it comes to the presidential election in 2020?
1: I think we have three number one issues. We have a pandemic. We have an economy that's flat on its back of 40 million unemployed people. And now we have this issue with George Floyd of, of race and law enforcement. It leads to the conclusion of a large majority of Americans who were living in a, a moment of freefall and chaos. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, when you look around, it's understandable lifestyles have changed. Your last interviews and an ind- indication of how they may have changed in a permanent way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think Americans are looking for some leadership that gives them confidence that we're at least moving forward on the right track on all three fronts
0: you know it's it's interesting as we shift to talking about the pandemic and and we've talked about this before as well you know there there was this desire and almost this feeling that it was going to happen where you were going to get uh, uh, just a tremendous amount of support from Washington uh, when it comes to bailout money for different services or even putting paychecks or, or money in pockets of Americans we, we all are all very aware of the twelve hundred dollar check but after that it seemed to trickle down it it's it specifically went to this one area or to that one area now we're arguing about transparency and it seems like the idea of helping out the American people who were locked in lockdown for three months has gone by the wayside what do you think of that what do you feel like the Congress and and Washington has done enough to help the American people during this crisis
1: absolutely not Jerome Powell chairman of the Federal Reserve has warned us repeatedly. They've changed monetary policy to try to breathe some life back into this economy. Uh, And we have to do the same thing in Congress. One of the smartest things we did initially was the unemployment insurance benefit, the federal benefit of $600 a week over and above the state benefit. It was a massive infusion of billions of dollars into the economy, into the hands of the people who desperately needed it, but was most likely to spend it as quickly as they received it, and it worked. Last week, uh, the notion that we had two million people headed back to work was an encouraging sign. And I think it's because of the stimulus, both monetary and fiscal stimulus that came together. I think Chairman Paul's right. He's a conservative Republican, but he's a good economist. At this moment, we have got to make sure we don't fall short of, of pushing beyond this recession into a, a growing economy. Now, we are held back by the pandemic. A lot of businesses cannot open. There's consumer resistance, which we should not understate. Uh... But the reality is, putting money into the hands of people who desperately need it is the best thing I think for the economy and the most humane approach to mm-hmm. government.
0: We know we're in election season, and we know that there's going to be a lot of effort, uh, you know, from both political parties to to work on their re-election campaigns or their election campaigns, and. And I have to ask, I mean, do you think that Congress will step in and help the American people before the election? Or is this something that we should should be cynical once again and think that Congress is, is not going to really move towards helping uh, until uh, we decide who's going to be the next president?
1: Unemployment rolls now up around 40 million. We have this federal plan, an additional six hundred dollars a week for those who are uh, facing unemployment uh, over and above the state benefits, whatever they may be. Imagine, if you will, that that all comes to an end on July 31st, and it does. Would you want to be in that position in the White House mm. with millions of Americans unemployed and being cut off from this federal assistance? No, I think it's, it really is unlikely that even this president will let us go uh, into the election under those circumstances. Yeah. He's going to uh, look for some way to put uh, a new version, a new stage, a new phase into unemployment benefits, and I think he should. I also think we need help for state and local governments. I mean, we're going to have layoffs of teachers, uh, of medical personnel, of law enforcement across the board if we're not careful. We need money in the state of Illinois. We need it county level, city level as well. So those things, I think, are going to be pressures on all members, Democrats and Republicans, to do something more before the election.
0: And, Senator Durbin, my last question for you just is about as we get close to, um, you know, the the conventions – you as a high-ranking Democrat uh, as in the party, what is the the convention going to look like in Milwaukee? Have you guys had those conversations? I know that de- <laughs> the Republicans are all over it, and they, they're, they're, Trump seems to tweet about it every other day. I was the trouble
1: with st- some of my friends <laughs> in Broadway's country, but I will just tell you the notion that thousands of people from across the United States Democrats are going to be gathering in a big room and screaming and shouting and jumping up and down together in the midst of a pandemic is unlikely. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get real. The most important thing is the health and safety of everybody, Democrat, Republican, independent. And The notion of putting them all in one room f- for the vanity of a president or a candidate just doesn't make any sense to
0: me. But do you have to play but, a little follow the leader? I mean, if, if the president and the Republicans say we're going to do this in Jacksonville, we're going to do this in, in Charlotte, do Democrats find them at, at a disadvantage uh, being safe while they're being
1: risky? I think being rational and thoughtful is a lot more convincing than uh, blind allegiance to any political
0: figure. Senator Dick Durbin, uh, the the high-ranking senator in Washington, and of course our senior senator here in the state of Illinois, taking some time out today to talk with us. I appreciate it, Senator Durbin, for joining us here on Reset. Take care. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. Come back tomorrow for another great conversation that will help you understand your city and your world a little better. I'm Justin Kaufman. Follow me on Twitter at Justin Kaufman. That's with uh, two N's at the end. And follow the show at WBEZ Reset. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again tomorrow.